Hello and welcome to Talk Spooky to Me, the Ghost Story Guys Mail Show. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we get a chance to hear from you, our listeners. Paul, my friend, how you doing? I'm all right, Treacle. How are you? <laughs> well, I find myself <laughs> in an unexpected position. I am afraid of the ocean. So you should be. As I have learned, I had not thought about this much. This was just not something that was on my radar. Uh, and then uh-huh. you recommended the book to me, uh, The Wave yes. by Susan Casey. And so I, I had an Audible credit I had to use up. So I, I thought, okay, well, let's grab this. And roughly around the same time as I started listening to that, Instagram decided to recommend a reel to me that was footage of giant waves breaking over the bows of very large ships. And I have never been so happy that I moved away from the coast. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to pa- take a pause from the horrors of the natural world and dive into some listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. First up is Mara, who says, Listening to the latest Talk Spooky, and I'm with you, Bren. I never watched any Canadian programming ever, but I think this may be a West Coast thing. I lived in Toronto for five years, and everyone there watched Canadian shows, especially Degrassi, and Beachcombers always look so boring. That's all I wanted to say. Have a wonderful week. Well, thank you, Mara. Mara is, of course, one of our longtime listeners and patrons. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I have never in my life watched Canadian television. But that said, it, having been in Ontario now for a few months, it does feel much more Canadian out here, you know? So may, maybe this is just a, a BC thing. I, I don't know. I mean, I hesitate to say one place is more Canadian than any other because I don't think there is a unified Canadian identity. But um, yeah. By the way, Mara, I appreciate you backing me up. That's only because you've never watched Murdoch Mysteries. One of many, many shows I didn't even realize was Canadian. <laughs> so. Probably because it's filled with English actors. That is my excuse, and that is what I'm sticking Tax with. Tax breaks. That's the only excuse I can think of. All right. Uh, next up is Derek. Derek says, I was listening to the latest Talk Spooky and the conversation around messed up movies people saw at school. Mine was the original Carrie. I saw it around grade six or seven. Half the school staff was out sick and they didn't have enough subs to cover, so they just sent everyone to the auditorium. I walked in, saw the projector, and asked the person setting up what we were watching. When they answered, I said, Really? Is it an edited version? They said, No. Why? I just laughed and said, Oh, no reason. Knowing full well two minutes in, there was full frontal nudity in the locker room scene. You never saw an old lady run back down the aisle so fast to try and cover the projector. I don't understand how anybody would make that choice. If, if I'm not mistaken, Derek went to school in Texas, so, oh. it, it, you know. <laughs> Ironically, I was in a charity shop the other day, and there was a VHS of Michael Jackson's thriller, The Extended Cut. Oh, no shit, we were just talking yeah, about that. I just It made me laugh, and I thought, shall I buy it? And then I thought, why? I haven't had a video recorder since 2008. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's one format I don't need. No, and, and I, I love that there are some people trying to sort of do like a VHS comeback thing, but VHS is shit, so it's not unlike vinyl, unlike some other stuff. It's, just, it's not. Thankfully, I don't think anyone can afford to bring back Laserdisc. I don't think we have enough raw material. Those things are roughly the size of a small car. <laughs> that was something. I think we, we had a Laserdisc player at our school, and I don't know if they it for crack or what but 
I think we, we used it twice in the entire five years I was in high school. And, uh, it, it was, it was always like some crazy, it was, it was like a visit from another planet. It was so unusual and so futuristic relative to all the other technology, you know, in the world of Apple IIe, that this was basically like a message from, from a faraway galaxy. And again, consequently, actually, what I think it was is I think they hit it because they didn't want us to get our hopes up. If we show them this technology from the, the, the present era, they might start getting notions about succeeding in the world, and that's not going to happen. <laughs> so here's a netch sketch <laughs> I only ever saw one in, in real life once. Oh, wow. At somebody's okay. house, and they had a laser disc player. And I was like, wow. And at first, I thought it was a record player. And then somebody went, no, no, you play films on it. I was like, what? Films on a record? I don't know why I had this image of you breaking into someone's house and seeing, I, I don't know. I've only ever broken into houses done. that my parents owned and oh, broken right. out of them when I was grounded. <laughs> the first film I ever watched on Betamax was Animal House, and I was nine. Classic. Yeah, yeah great choice from the parents there. <laughs> this explains a lot about Paul Bestel, if I'm honest. Um, it was one of them that... The neighbours had bought it and they were going on holiday and they didn't want to leave it in the house. So we basically babysat their Betamax player for a fortnight. Were they worried that Betamax was going to order a bunch of DoorDash on their credit card? What, what was the fear I think there? they were, because video recorders were so rare, they thought somebody would just smash the door in and take it. So let someone else have that risk. <laughs> That's <laughs> They've got two young children in that house. That'll keep the burglars away. It's a numbers game. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it, it took about three days for, for the parents to work out how to set it up. That's all there is. And it had a remote control on a wire. Oh, yeah, like yeah. Our, our first VHS was a Ferguson Video Star with the uh, remote control, which you plugged in, and occasionally, you know, people would get up and <laughs> go flying across the room as they tripped over the, the wire that you'd left there. My one and only experience with a Betamax was when we went to go visit some family members in Kamloops, which is a town, a neighboring town to Revelstoke in the late 1980s. And we went to the video store. And now I have always loved the video store. I'm a, as everyone listening to this knows, I'm a giant movie nerd. So we got to the video store. I was very excited. And it was like getting into a candy store and being filled with excitement until someone leads you by the hand over to the sugar-free, uh, the sugar-free biscuits section and says, you can pick anything you want from here because the video store was huge the Betamax section was roughly the size of my monitor screen I think they had about six titles five of which were Pauly Shore movies it, it was just a horror <laughs> show <laughs> and my uncle was trying to say well no it looks so much better and now as that guy you know I have a PlayStation 5 I have a 4k television I'm a giant ner- I was just telling you I bought it you know the, the remastered version of the Christopher Walken prophecy films on Blu-ray. I, I get it. But as that small child, I thought, this is bullshit. And <laughs> it's kind of funny, because when you talk about, well, th- this VHS is better quality than that VHS. Like, oh, great. You know, getting hit in the face is slightly better than getting hit in the nuts. That's, that's kind of what it felt like at the time. And uh, I was, yeah. So my one experience with Betamax was disappointing, to say the least. Yes, yes. We've only had a similar thing recently when we had the, uh, the whole Blu-ray HD uh, thing that went on for a little bit until Blu-ray completely decimated it, didn't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. HD DVD. I remember that well. I think it was another one of those situations where it might have been the superior technology, but that in itself is not enough. You know, it, it's, it's like with my, I've got an Android phone. 
I remember when Android phones first started coming out and everyone said, well, it's just, it's better technology. Yeah, but it sucks. Like your car goes really fast, but if you can't steer the fucker, then it's no good to you. <laughs> it's great if and you go straight. Yeah, that's exactly it. And this, I remember my friend was showing me how you can type by flowing from one key to the next. I'm like, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. We have a solution for this. It's called fucking typing. Well, not, not everybody can uh, lose their market share like Nokia did. <laughs> Smartphones? Who wants one of those? <laughs> I'm convinced that what happened with Nokia was that they made the one phone, the 3360, that was indestructible. It could not be killed. It was essentially the Terminator of phones, and I think that phone was holding them hostage. That phone was just, it had all of their families in an undisclosed location and said, if you make a smartphone, I'm not responsible for what happens next, and you can't kill me. That phone is literally in the neutral zone with General Zod right now. It's the only way they could get rid of it. (laughs) All right, so next up is from Chris. Chris says, hey guys, loving the video stories. Ren, you're looking healthy. Good for you. I hope it's okay if I ask this, but are you on the shot? I was thinking about it and wanted to know what your experience was if you were. Uh, I actually had to look this up, um, but no. No, the answer is no. Uh, the shot is apparently, um, uh, there's, a, there's a couple different ones, but it's essentially like, a, like a, some kind of weight loss shot that is kind of in vogue right now, especially in North America. Oh, right, yes, I'm aware of that. People are selling it illegally here because we can't get it properly on the NHS, yes. Oh, really? Now, is it because the NHS won't cover it or because it hasn't been approved for use a in the UK? A bit of both. Uh, okay. To be fair, they're struggling to pay for toilet roll here at the minute, so, you know. <laughs> I was a bit concerned when I read that message. I thought that there was some strange kind of uh, monkey gland serum coming back into fashion. <laughs> well, I'm first in line for that. Yes, I've always had a deep distrust of the monkey gland theory ever since I discovered Sherlock Holmes as a very young man. What is the monkey gland theory? Uh, the, well, it, it used to happen. There was a train of thought that uh, older rich men who had lost their virility would uh, seek out doctors who would inject them with glands extracted from a variety of monkeys to increase their, their sexual performance and return them to vitality. Basically, lunatic old men who were just trying to keep up with their trophy wives and is famously dealt with in the classic Sherlock Holmes story, The Creeping Man. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Conan Doyle was ahead of the curve in that one. Yeah, it's about uh, a country gent with a beautiful wife, and his wife goes to see Holmes because her husband is beginning to act very odd, and essentially he starts to re- regress into becoming a killer ape. So this is essentially the, like, Victorian version of boner pills. Like gas station oh, this, this is like 100 years. This isn't this in, in Victorian. This is in the last 100 years. This is a 20th century thing. Oh, okay, okay. It started, it was, it was quite popular, sort of late Victorian, early Edwardian period. So, yeah. Oh, Up okay. until the 1920s. It keeps coming around again. I just, I've never particularly thought, like, I wish I was as virile as that monkey. I've just, that has never been a thought I've had. I mean, certainly I've, d- I've doubted my own virility at points mm-hmm. in my life, but never because of monkeys. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I've always I've always distrusted it. It does it pops up. It's it's like a I I would guarantee you if you wanted to try and search it out right now, you would be able to track somebody down somewhere that would be able to inject you with monkey glands if you wish to. <laughs> well, Christ, people have concrete to know. injected into their asses, isn't there? I mean, Gordon Bennett, monkey glands is pretty 
low key compared to that. I, I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose you got a point you there. I, I was actually, I was reading an article about gas station boner pills recently. <laughs> and um, do, they, do they have that over there? Do they have like, I guess you guys don't have, you're a little more regulated as far as this stuff goes. Yeah. Stuff like that's harder to buy than proper drugs. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, it's easy, it's easier to get PCP than that, allegedly. <laughs> I, I guess that, yeah, yeah, my friend told me. <laughs> I read it on a toilet wall. So, well, over here, you can, I mean, I don't know, I don't know about Canada, but I know in the States, I've heard a lot of comedians talk about this. You can just walk into the gas station because they have um, things like five-hour energy, which are meant to be like these sort of energy shots, you know, of some indiscriminate or some like vague mix of chemicals, like Red Bull, but even worse for you. In the States, obviously, they've got these sort of, yeah, boner pills that they, they have, uh, you can just buy in the gas station. But apparently, a lot of them are coming from overseas. And so there's very little regulation on what's going into them. And so some of them actually have the same ingredients as stuff like Cialis or, or shit like that, but in wildly varying amounts. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's like one, you're getting nothing. And then two, you're getting, you're getting a full dose. And I remember listening, hearing this one. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know why the fuck, Chris. Yeah, bet this wasn't where you thought the question was going. But there was a... There was a guy I heard on a on a podcast. He took one of these of these things. And it didn't do anything. Oh. So he took a second one. Yeah, you know where this is going. Uh, took a third one. His, apparently his whole body went red. He had to go to the emergency room. <laughs> Don't take gas station boner pills, folks. This is a free some free advice from uncles Bren and Paul. Well, Chris, again, I don't know that you expected this to go this direction, but uh yeah, no, the, uh, no shot for me. Uh, I worked with a nutritionist for about six months and just really worked at figuring out what worked for me. Um, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but yeah, I, I, I've always kind of had a bad relationship with food. You know, trying to learn portion control was hard just because I didn't know what I, like, my body needed. I had no idea what like, a good calorie count would be. And the one time I did try counting calories years ago, I got really sick because I was undershooting. So I worked with this nutritionist out of Mississauga uh, for about six months and no, no shot, just uh, a lot of portion control and, and just learning, again, kind of learning to listen to my body. Madison writes, I'm listening to the newest episode with your wonderful guest, Mike. I'm at the part where Mike is talking about the electrical sensation that he used to feel as a child falling asleep and immediately had to drop everything to email you. I have recently been experiencing the exact same thing that Mike described, and I've been way too scared to tell anybody about it. I thought it could have been a side effect from my wonderful antidepressants, but who knows? The feeling is exactly the same. I get the electrical tingling feeling in the centre of my head the second I'm about to clonk the fuck out. I've never experienced astral projecting or lucid dreams or anything like that, so I'm not sure about the connection there but I do often have vivid and such realistic dreams that it takes a while for me to differentiate between what a dream was and what's real life. But anyways, the point is my jaw dropped when I heard Mike talking about it. It literally feels like if I give in to the tingles, and not in a weird way, I'm going to die or leave my body. It's so uncomfortable and sends me into a panic each time, and then I just can't sleep for a few hours after. Thanks Mike for a new thing to fixate on, and thanks for another excellent episode to remind me not to hang out in the parking lots at night again. 
Thank you, Madison. That is really interesting. I, I know a friend of mine did have what he called uh, head zaps when he was going off some antidepressants. He was taking, I want to say, Effexor, and he just stopped, which you should never do. But he was, yeah, he experienced, he called them head zaps. They weren't, you know, I mean, he's fine. He never had any, you know, like long-term issues, but definitely something he, he kind of had, uh, he had to go through. Although it sounds like, Madison, you're on them, so sounds harmless enough, but uh, I'll, I always like to say, like, if it keeps up, man, go, go have a word with your doctor if you can. Yes, mine just make me feel like I drink serotonin sometimes and go mental in a happy way. Oh, you're antidepressants. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Sometimes I feel completely off my head. But like up. Yeah, like I'm like, hey, I'm like normal, but I'm like really like, whoa. <laughs> oh, okay. Huh. I can juggle. Woo. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's an okay problem I to have. I can work out how to use a Betamax. Yeah. It looks great, I guess. <laughs> oh, look how good Star Trek 2 is. Yeah, exactly. Boy, I can't wait to watch Kickboxer again. Can you can you drink on the antidepressants? Yes, uh, everything apart from grapefruit juice. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is annoying because I like grapefruit juice. So, what is grapefruit juice? Apparently, do? it cancels them out, which made me think. Well, should I drink grapefruit juice instead? Is grapefruit juice magic? Well, funny enough, I I remember um, someone telling me they were on pills for high blood pressure, and that was the same thing. They couldn't eat grapefruits or drink grapefruit juice because it would counteract whatever the medication was for high blood what pressure. What is going on with grapefruits? I maintain that that is why Hunter S. Thompson never had any long-term liver damage, because that guy ate nothing but grapefruit half the time, mm. and he never had any organ failure. He never really had any, aside from the, the bone thing, which ultimately is you know, one of the reasons he took his life, he, he never had any, uh, that I'm, as far as I'm aware of, long-term health issues, and that guy took every drug, you know, often all at once. <laughs> yes. I'm, I, don't, I don't know. What is it about grapefruit that makes it the anti-antidepressant? So that, that's a depressant. Hmm. Or is it? Or is it just... I don't know. I don't understand it. We've got a Godzilla versus Kong scenario here. We're going to have my depression and a grapefruit running away from an explosion holding hands. <laughs> so next up is Fiendish Glee. Hmm. And Fiendish Glee says, My parents used to let me stay up and watch Night Gallery and reruns of Twilight Zone when I was around six years old. The first movie I ever remember seeing on TV was The Mud Monster. That scared the pee out of me. We lived in a 200-plus-year-old house that had ghosts and creaked and moaned all the time, so, yeah, to say I grew a spine is an understatement. I never saw Threads, possibly because I'm an American, but I remember that War Games was pretty damn scary, too. I remember I actually heard a funny story about War Games. I was listening to the biography, uh, or autobiography, of the hacker Kevin Mitnick, who died recently, and he was talking about War Games, and how when he was, because he was always breaking, breaking laws, hacking... <laughs> Never really for any malicious reason, just to see if he could. But when he was tried, the opposing counsel said this man could start World War III by picking up a phone and blowing a, like, and just whistling into it. And that was something that happens in, in, I guess, in war games or some variation of that in war games. And he said it was insane that they would use this because this person literally pulled the scenario from a movie. And, and, and Mitnick said, NORAD is not even on the internet. You cannot connect to them. They're all offline. That is not a possible thing that could happen in any way. But this was constantly brought up whenever he was uh, mentioned in the media, and I guess it used to drive him nuts. That's exactly what he would say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'll teach him. <laughs> That's why you're dead. <laughs> That's probably a little excessive. 
very strange vibe on this episode, guys. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the Mud Monster. No, it's a new one on me. I know, I've seen some episodes of Night Gallery, because that was the thing Rod Serling did after um, Twilight Zone, wasn't it? Oh, okay. So, now, was Twilight, do you know if Twilight Zone was cancelled and he went and did that instead? Or was it just, you know, they fired him and, and outsourced the job or something? Um, I, I know he left under acrimonious circumstances from Twilight Zone. Oh, okay. It, it wasn't the, uh, the cleanest of breaks. And then he came back with Night Gallery. Because he, he didn't die long after Night Gallery, did he? Because he was, he was taken far too young. So how did he die? I, actually, I don't know very much um, about I think him. he died of lung cancer. He was a, um, a, a, a deeply heavy smoker. Right. I was going to say, I, I seem to recall him smoking in pretty much every episode of, of The Twilight yeah. Zone. Well, yeah. I think, you know, and in them days, it was literally like inhaling asbestos, wasn't it? Filters? What are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So, um, yes. But yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not aware of the Mud Monster. It sounds good, that. Yeah, I was just looking. It is not streaming anywhere in North America. I, I have a, a site I use for uh, movies that are out of print, and it's not even on there. So this is, this is a rare find, mm. Fiendish Glee. Nice work. Thank you. New patron goal. Help us find the Mud Monster. <laughs> All right. So last one before we take a quick commercial break. This comes from other Chris. This is uh, Chris Murphy. Chris, of course, is a listener who, uh, along with his wife, Nikki, had me over to their house in Montreal for a very lovely dinner. And so uh, when he asked me to promote that their new live D&D show, not even a question. Uh, so yeah, if you make me dinner, you too can promote your product, <laughs> your project on the show. <laughs> so by the time this comes out, the live episode will have, uh, will be over. Um, our patrons might have a chance to, uh, to hear about this beforehand, but you can always watch it afterwards. Games, Gags, and Geeks presents Storm King's Thunder, Episode 1, Saturday, December 16th, 9 p.m. EST, on Twitch. It will also be on YouTube and podcast platforms. Join this ragtag group of adventurers as they deal with a growing threat of a giant civil war that threatens Faerun. And again, you'll find a link to that in the show notes, and that'll be on Twitch, YouTube, and all those places. And again, that's uh, a live D&D show hosted by our listener, Chris. Make sure to check that out. And now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Our next missive is from Brit, who writes, Brennan, Paul and Mike. Oh my God, you three. Today's episode has me fighting tears at my desk. The stories were awesome, but damn the conversations between were what hit me. When Mike said, what about me, is attracting people like that into my life, when talking about people who may not have our best interests in mind, it was a game changer. That line will absolutely be discussed at my next therapy appointment. Oof. I love you all so damn much. The transparency and openness and unconditional support for each other when talking about mental health and struggles makes me know that I am not alone on this roller coaster. And it's a great comfort every time I hear y'all chat about these things. Thank you, thank you, thank you, from Brit. Well, thank you, Brit. That's that's really nice, and I'm I'm happy that our transparency is valuable. I I know it, sometimes I listen to the show when I'm editing it, and I think, man, like I really like the version of the show that it has evolved into. I just like the fact that it's a positive place and that people respond to that and. 
you know, I, I know some people have, have criticized us in past for not, again, not leaning more into the spooky stuff or, or things like this, but I don't know. I feel like I would rather have a more honest show that is reflective of who we are than trying to put on a persona and be something that we're not, you know? I think we should talk more about demons. Well, I mean, I was going to propose that at the next company meeting. You know, that's the that's the mission statement for 2024. Yes. Yes. Demons and Bigfoot erotica. Okay. Oh, I mean, Bigfoot erotica thing, I might actually, that's fine. Did you see um, Emma from Real Life Ghost Stories shared, <laughs> shared some... <laughs> I some did. Big, well, some cryptid erotica, because there was one, what was it, taken by Mothman or something? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Seduced by my Bigfoot yoga instructor. Yeah. I, if you guys, I mean, I have to assume if you're listening to this, you're listening to Real Life Ghost Stories. But if you're not, go check it out. Uh, Emma's, Emma's pretty great. And her Instagram account, that was, <laughs> yeah, she does, some, she does some great stuff. I don't know how she manages to produce the volume of material she produces. She's a, she's a phenomenon. Absolutely. She's a paranormal machine. She really is. Yeah. Oh, man. But, um, yeah, that was, that was great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I like, I'd say I quite enjoy this version of the show and, and I quite like, I mean, I like telling spooky stories. I love hearing, I love hearing about new and weird paranormal shit. But, um, you know, I said, I've been doing this for, it's coming up on seven years. And so I, I think it, it's sort of necessary that it evolved and continues to evolve. Cause I think, you know, kind of doing the same thing over and over again, I think would just get old. And, and there have definitely been times where you know, not necessarily, not in recent years necessarily, but you know, just where you start, you kind of get stuck doing the same cycle and it just gets samey and you just, I think you, you run out of shit to talk about. Whereas if, if you don't mind taking a detour to talk about rogue waves or Betamax players or whatever, right? I think it just, if you don't mind doing that, then I think it, you get kind of a weird chimera of a show, but I think it's a really nice show. Well, it's better than going, whoa, that's spooky. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, right? Doing another fucking show on Amityville or the goddamn Conjuring House, God forbid. The Winchester House. Or the Winchester House, yeah. Every t- I mean, yeah, I don't want to bag on other people because I know everyone's got to do what they got to do to make their bones and, and draw a crowd. And I know some people still respond to that shit. General audiences still respond to that shit, but I just, I cannot be bothered. And uh, I just don't know how you wring any more interest out of that stuff. Whereas again, you know, here's a story about someone seeing a ghost tarantula on the ceiling of their building or the ceiling of their bedroom. And also we're going to talk about gas station boner pills. That's a show I can get behind. Hmm. I agree. Next up is Catherine. Catherine says, I randomly have feedback on knowing that crashing metal anxiety thing. This of course is in reference to something that we were talking about with Mike on 177. On 11, 26, 2004, I was headed up a Canyon to go to park city, Utah for my birthday when my husband hit black ice and the car spun out and crashed into a guardrail. I was lying down in the passenger seat, so all I remembered was seeing the view outside the window rapidly change and then us come to a horrible stop. The car was totaled, but neither of us was injured. We got a ride back to the city and the car was towed. Half a month later, I had to walk out of a concert because of a massive panic attack. Now, there are perfectly valid reasons for people to feel endangered by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Tongue-in-cheek here, because my mom was performing with them at the time but I had no problems with the rest of their concert. A few days later, I played the recording of Silent Night and got another sudden panic attack while experiencing vertigo and hearing screaming metal. I realized we had been listening to Silent Night at the time of the crash. It took me years to get to a place where I could enjoy that music, and now, if it comes on the radio, 
I sit in silence and just breathe deeply because it's not the music that put me in danger. It was the car crash. I think that's so interesting, right? I mean, we, again, I think stuff like trigger warning has just become, it's become overused. So I think it's like, it's lost a lot of its value. I think, I, I think it's important to put content warnings and stuff. You know, I mean, there is some emerging research to maybe suggest that's not as helpful as it might seem, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. But I, I do think that, you know, when this kind of stuff started, when people talked about like trigger warnings and things like this, it was for valid reasons because people actually have visceral reactions to certain things. Not, you know, oh, this makes me uncomfortable, I'm unhappy, or, or, or I'm unhappy, I have to hear this, but literally physical symptoms, you know, again, trauma responses. And we forget how, how potent that can be when you have a, a connection like that and how badly, like I said, you know, for me, when I was in those car wrecks when I was a kid with my dad, you know, I didn't realize the trauma it left in me. I didn't realize that the, kind of the, the lasting mark it left. So whenever I heard, you know, screeching metal, even if it was outside my house, had nothing to do with me. To me, it was the end of the world. End of the world's coming right now. And uh, yeah, again, it's, it's one of those things where we, I think we still soft pedal to a certain degree, the psychological damage done by these things. We get through it and physically recover. I mean, in your case, Catherine, thank God you guys were uninjured. But there is a psychological cost. And I don't necessarily think that we reckon with that as much as we should. I think it's certainly something that seems to be treated with validity these days more than than it used to be twenty thirty years ago. That the um, you know, without wishing to sound like it's a cliche, the mental scars are often more damaging than the physical ones. You can see the recovery in a in a physical ailment or an injury. You can see yourself heal. Whereas if it's a if it's a, a suppressed memory or a or a trigger to something as innocuous as Silent Night, then some people may treat that with no respect at all, but it's it's sometimes things that happen that you're not aware of until it causes you to react in a negative way down the line that makes you realise just how in deeply enmeshed in your psyche things can be. And as I've said before when talking about certain experiences, the brain is a wonderful protector of people from traumatic experiences and occasionally it lets you down. And that's a prime example of that. Why on earth should Silent Night cause such panic in someone? You know, it's a beautiful song. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. You know, I was having this thought the other day, and I think I might even have said this on the show at some point, but it drives me crazy when people say, it's just in your head. Mm. Well, yeah. You know what's in my head? My, my fucking brain. <laughs> you, know, you know how the brain works? <laughs> it's a series of chemical impulses. So it's a real physical thing that's happening in my body. There's this moron notion that if you're having some kind of psychological distress, that again, it, it's not real. Like if you broke your finger, someone would go, oh, well, okay, your finger's broken. I can see that. It's a problem. Or if you got really bad stomach pain, you know, oh, okay, we well, got stomach pain. That's a real thing. Oh, I, you know, I, I'm really having this hard problem, like emotionally or mentally. Well, it's just in your mm. head. Yeah, you dumb motherfucker. What do you think is in my head? Fairy dust? Like this is, they're all physiological processes, emotions, thoughts. It's all physiological process. It's something that's happening in the body. It can be just as disordered as the rest of your body. Anyways, it just, it annoys me. It's that kind of attitude that led to so many veterans suffering such traumatic and uh, deliberating mental illnesses that were dismissed as people being too soft. Bullshit. Yeah, that's it. All right, next up is Kyle. Kyle says, hey guys, love the show and all your fun banter. On the Indiana episode, you asked why a hunting story wasn't early in the morning. 
I live in a neighboring state and have deer hunted here. Deer are up from their beds and moving to food sources around dawn and dusk. They bed down and rest during the middle of the day usually. This means you can hunt early in the morning, take a break for lunch and a long nap, and then get in position again mid-afternoon for the dusk movements. I've never experienced the supernatural to my knowledge, but in rediscovering the outdoors when everything was locked down for COVID, I've found that most folks forget that we are just other animals. When the woods get accustomed to your presence and you experience it undisturbed, it can be a very peaceful and spiritual experience. Thanks for a great show. And thank you, Kyle. I really appreciate that. Again, it, it, I love that we actually do have people who listen to the show who hunt and have uh, helped correct me on that point. Because again, I, I knew, I mean, I know nothing about hunting. So uh, I, I certainly appreciate the knowledge. Yes, you've just got to watch out for the Bigfoot. Yeah, as we learned from the movies you were watching earlier. Yes, absolutely. Don't, uh, don't arrange a hen party in a cannibalistic Bigfoot area, is what I learned watching films over the weekend. There's going to be a patron goal at some point. Watch movies with Paul. <laughs> as he works through the 50 worst Bigfoot films ever made. I feel like that's just a list of the Bigfoot films. I feel like maybe there's like two or three of them that are actually good. I'd say there's a, probably about eight. <laughs> so, okay, so there's, okay. <laughs> so there's Willow, Willow Creek yeah. exists. Mm-hmm. I think Man vs. The one with the big, the one where he's got the thing on his face, yep. the wooden mask one. I think that counts. Yep. Big Legend. What are the others? Big Legend, right? I still haven't seen that Abominable. One. Right, Abominable. Boggy Creek. Oh, that actually counts. Okay. Boggy Creek, of course, yeah. The Abominable Snowman. Abominable Snowman. Okay, I don't know it's, that one. Uh, okay. Peter Cushing and Forrest Tucker from the 50s. It's probably the first uh, Harry Hominid film. It's very good. Very good. Black and white. Oh, okay. I saw Harry and the Hendersons when I was younger, and I didn't like it because obviously it's a family-friendly film, but lots of people always count that, but I'm not a fan. I mean, all I know of Harry and Hendersons, I saw it when I was really young, and we, we talked about this kind of thing on a recent episode, so I feel comfortable saying this. Boy, did I cry. <laughs> but I was a little kid, so that's what I'm blaming that shit on. Hey, I can't say anything. One of the dancers on Strictly Come Dancing's quarter, uh, semi-final this week made me cry, so, well, you know, I'm just a big softie. That's it. That's it. You get older, you just become softies. We had a lot of feedback, actually, about that, about uh, folks kind of finding that as they get older, they're a little more comfortable with that stuff. And yeah, I, I went to go see The Abyss and Godzilla Minus, Zero, uh, minus One recently, and I cried during both. Hmm. Yeah, well, you know, as uh, as I learned in, in Ford Fairlane, it, it's good to cry. Ah, <laughs> uh, that oracle that is Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> all right, well, there you have Paul's comprehensive listing of all the good uh, uh, Snow Beast. We can't forget Snow Beast. Yes, the original, not the remake. Na- well, naturally, yeah. Yes. Comprehensive listing of all of Paul's favorite Bigfoot movies. Yes. I have to watch Night of the Demons. Apparently there's a scene where Bigfoot uses somebody's entrails like nunchucks. <laughs> now I also have to see Night of the Demons. Yes. I was contemplating renting it at the weekend on Prime, so I may take the plunge. But though apparently it's free on YouTube, allegedly. I mean, I, I, my experience, if it's free on YouTube, it probably looks like shit. That didn't happen to blood-sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh, did it? Well, no, God has sentenced us to watch that in its entirety and be forced to witness it in the highest definition possible. What a sweaty film. Oh, it really was. It really was. I will say, losing Blackbuster was a horror because YouTube zooped them for copyright a while back. And it's just the worst because, man, Blackbuster Video was a YouTube channel that this guy would scan old VHS tapes and archive them on YouTube. And there was a lot, I I think one of the things that went wrong is he started doing a little too many mainstream things, but um, he had some brilliant shit and some shit shit on there. 
And uh, I don't know, if you're new to the show, you might not know the story, but basically when Paul first came on the show, our monthly patron bonus for people at $10 and above would be movie night-ish. And it's night-ish because it always happened in the middle of Saturday because that's when our schedules <laughs> lined up. But we would watch classic crappy horror movies that were streaming for free on YouTube with the audience. So we would all start the movie at the same time. And so Paul and I would talk and then the audience would, would hang out in the chat. So we, we did a bunch of these things. I think we did about six or seven of them. But most of them were being hosted by this YouTube channel called Blackbuster. Eventually, they were taken down for copyright infringement. I have heard there are other ways to access that archive. I, I'm not going to get into it. But, uh, and I haven't explored it myself. I, but I'd love to because, again, that person had some stuff that you will never find anywhere. Because a lot of stuff never made the transition off of VHS to, to disc. One of those movies, really the last movie we did <laughs> was Blood Sucking Pharaohs in Pittsburgh. And it was shit on a level you cannot even imagine. It barely had anything to do with Pharaohs. Now, other than that um, adult actress who was the lead dressing as a, a roller skating Pharaoh waitress, I'm not sure of the connection at all. Yeah, like Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. That had Hollywood, it had chainsaws, and it had hookers. It delivered on all those things. You were not disappointed. But blood-sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh. I mean, okay, I guess technically, well, no, it had Pittsburgh. It had Pittsburgh. That's all it really had. I don't remember much blood-sucking in it either. No. No, it, was, it should have been called Weird Sweaty Shit in Pittsburgh. Because yes. then they would have delivered on their yes. promise. Adult actress talent pratfall on roller skate murders and everybody's sweaty. In Pittsburgh. I'm half convinced that movie was just some sort of shared hallucination we all had when we were abducted by aliens. Yeah, some kind of DMT trip. <laughs> <laughs> but it can't be, because I, I saw it for sale, like, didn't I, over here? Of course, yeah. And an yeah, incredibly no, expensive I... price in a second-hand shop. Oh, it's rare. It was so expensive, I thought, I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> you know, I can pick up much better films for like a quarter of the price. I, honestly, I, I think the only reason to pick that up would have been to destroy it so there were fewer copies of it left in circulation. And, or to prove that it exists. It's a bit like, well, or that like the Holy Grail or that, that missing horror film from, from the 1930s, the Lon Chaney one. <laughs> London After Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, those are equal things. London After Midnight and Bloodsucking Pharaohs <laughs> in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Equally revered. All right, so we have two more for you guys. So our next one is Anonymous, who says, First of all, love the show. I especially find fascinating your chats trying to analyse what the writer may have experienced. Now for the reason for this email, I've been bouncing around in your catalogue, so I just heard the Gnome Watcher episode with a story about another listener looking for a place she keeps seeing in her dreams a church on a bluff overlooking a town. I'm not entirely sure the difference between a bluff and a hill, but that sounds like a church I used to walk by when I needed a long walk, because grad school is not good for one's mental health. The church is called St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the Catholic school in Indiana, Pennsylvania. This is a real town in eastern Pennsylvania, and it's about an hour northwest of Pittsburgh. I'd love a follow-up to hear if the mystery location has been found, or if this tip helps. Keep up the great work, but remember to care for yourselves too. Best wishes, Anonymous. So, thank you, Anonymous. Um, 
Yeah, that is that harkens back to really, I think, Paul's first year with the show, mm. uh, the bluff in the church. And I actually haven't heard from that listener in about two years. I sent them an email when this came in. I, I sent them the information just to see if maybe that would help. I, I know we definitely, when it happened at the time, we had a lot of people writing in suggesting various churches, various bluffs, and uh, none of them were the right one. But um, yeah, if, if anything comes of it, Anonymous, we will certainly let you know. Yeah, bluffs near the coast. That's the difference. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. I had to check. I did wonder the difference myself. A bluff is defined as a steep shoreline slope formed in sediment, such as loose materials like clay, sand and gravel, that has three feet or more of vertical elevation just before the high tide line. There we go. All right, so our last message comes from our patron, April. And this is regarding the episode we did, The Life After Death. April says, I was hesitant to listen to this episode because my husband died in September. He was 52. We had been friends since second grade and together as a couple for 30 years. We knew he didn't have long. He had a weak heart, only about 10% function. He'd only been home from the hospital for a month before I came downstairs on September 9th and found him. It is the worst day of my life. We joked and said we'd do a Houdini thing and have a secret saying that only we knew. If he came back, he'd say the words and I'd know it was him. So far, no go. But I really hope at some point he does at least show up in my dreams to let me know he's okay. I've never been alone and it's very difficult. I do hope there is something after death. And April, I, I do too. I don't know that there's anything else we can say that won't seem pale and, and hollow at this point, other than to say, hang on, and we hope you're doing all right. I think sometimes it's, it's very difficult in the grieving process, especially when you embrace the theories and the discussions that we have. And this has happened to me in the past. I know it's happened to members of my family. When my aunt passed away, there were two members of the family who had very different encounters with what they believed to be a manifestation of them. And the one person that wanted it more than anybody else was my grandfather, and she never came to see him that he was aware of. And especially in our family, it can be quite difficult because... Sometimes you can get this misconception that if it doesn't happen, that they don't want to come. And I don't buy into that theory in the slightest whatsoever. And I think as we grow and our knowledge and our understandings and our ability to talk about these subjects without the, the cliches and the, the alleged rules of what's supposed to happen from the other side, I think a lot of us have come to realise that sometimes we can get messages from beyond, but not perhaps in the physical, corporal way that has often been described throughout media over the last two to three hundred years. And I think sometimes it can be something as, as symbolic as finding a feather in your house where you know there can't be one, or seeing a robin dart and dance across your your porch or your back garden or sometimes even just the smell of a of a f familiar aftershave or a or a coffee or something so um i wouldn't hold on to the hope that it would be as permanent and as obvious as a recognizable visitation but to simply stay positive and keep open minded because you never know how someone may send you a message
Yeah. I think that's I think that's a great way to put it. In the meantime, April, take care of yourself. And uh yeah, good luck. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of Talk Spooky to Me. Thanks to everyone who wrote in, whether it was via email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com, whether it was messages on Patreon from our patrons, which you can become at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys, or by signing up to GSD Premium via Apple Podcasts, whether you commented on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all those good places. Of course, you can find us on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys, or on Facebook as Ghost Story Guys, or as The Ghost Story Guys finally made a group. Whether it was any of those places, thank you, thank you, thank you. And of course, we try and get as many of your messages as possible in the show, but, but of course, we can only get so many. However, we do read everything. You send, comment, we see it all. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And Paul, my friend, where can everyone find you online? You can find me at either at Paul Bestall across social media platforms, or of course, as at Mystery Monsters, wherever I may be lurking. Fabulous. I'm on Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, and Letterboxd as Largely the Truth. And you can find my other show, Weird Together, on podcast platforms everywhere. As always, we like to end Talk Spooky with a song. If you want to hear your band's stuff in this space, shoot us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We love featuring independent artists. This time around, though, it is coming up to the holiday season. I guess it is the holiday season now by this point. And Something I used to play every Christmas on this show is Shadrick by Hexagram. And that is from their 2018 album, Crystal Lake. And I thought I would share it again this year simply because I love it. I love Hexagram. Those folks are good friends of mine. And I'm going to include the album opener. These are the first two tracks from Crystal Lake. And I'm including the opener because I was lucky enough to make it for them. It features my voice slightly altered. It was just something I'm very proud to have been part of. And a song that I still think is, uh, well, it's a beautiful song anyways, and they, they cover it brilliantly. So we will end this episode of Talk Spooky to Me with Shadrick by Hexagram. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. Can anybody hear me? I don't know where I am.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.